Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today we're doing a joint episode. Uh, I think we're going to change the format up a little bit on our cases or on our uh, shows going forward where uh, we each do one uh, one week. I'll do one one week. Samantha will do one and then we'll do a joint one to kind of mix it up, make it a little bit easier on both of us too. Uh, very quickly doing a full case, especially after doing multiple parters, uh, it can get a little overwhelming uh, doing it yeah. back to back to back. So hopefully this will help. And it'll also give us a nice change of pace throughout the month. Yep. So uh, we're actually doing um, hauntings this week. So we each are going to bring you a different haunting. But before we get started, Sam... What are we drinking? We are drinking a lovely concoction called Ghost Cocktails. This is it. It looks really cool <laughs> too. It like it, it totally follows with the name. But you're gonna do two 1.4 ounce packets of hot chocolate mix white, if at all possible, because obviously it's ghost themed. One tablespoon of sugar, a half a teaspoon of vanilla extract two cups of heavy cream. Um, I guess you could use milk if you wanted it to be a little lighter. Two heaping cups of ice cubes, one ounce of the black candy melts, and then a half a cup of vanilla vodka. So obviously this is making more than one drink. Please do not drink drink a whole cup of (laughs) vanilla vodka, please. (laughs) And you're just going to mix all of these together and uh, pour into a glass. So you're going to I mean, this would be like a pitcher, obviously, so you pour it into your glasses. And it's really cute. And then you kind of sprinkle the candy melts on there, so it gives it an interesting look. Mm-hmm. So, cheers. Cheers. To hauntings. To hauntings. All right, Yummy. so I think Samantha is uh, is uh, kicking up. us off. Up first. No worries. Um, so I picked a, uh, a haunting because this was literally my thought process. I went to Google, I said, uh, hauntings in Alabama. And this was the one that came up that I hadn't heard of. So I was like, well, that seems like a good enough reason to do it to me. So I am going to cover the Drish house. It is in Uh, It's originally known, it was originally known as Monroe Place. It's a southern plantation house in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, built in 1837. It's a large stuccoed brick mansion at the center of a 450-acre plantation on the edge of the city of Tuscaloosa, and it was originally built for Dr. John R. Drish. The house is considered to be one of the most distinctive mixes of Greek revival and a Taliante, I guess, styles in Alabama. Unfortunately, the house ownership has changed hands several times since it was built until it was bought by Tuscaloosa Board of Education. It operated as Jemison School from 1906 to 1925. Later, it was a parts warehouse owned by Charles Turner's Tuscaloosa Wrecking Company. 
Um, the description from alabamaheritage.com was, by the 1930s, however, the structure had fallen on hard times and was purchased by a local entrepreneur who opened a garage in the parlor, parked wrecked cars in the front yard, and nailed an unsightly Tuscaloosa Wrecking Company sign to the Italiante Tower. So needless to say, oh my God. they weren't happy that he turned into this. The side porches were actually removed to make space at some point, and most of the building's facade had begun to erode over time. It was first recorded by the Historic American Building Survey in 1934. So, I mean, you're talking about this really fancy plantation house, mansion, and by the 1930s, it gets turned into a auto parts slash wrecking company storefront, essentially. So somebody as um country as myself <laughs> no i'm not country at all somebody like my dad bought it <laughs> yeah yeah we'll go with that i could totally see your dad doing that and turning it into like a, a bike a bike repair shop oh my I, god i mean if the money's right it, it, i think that's what it was it was just the money was right for the place yeah by 1940, the Southside Baptist Church purchased the property for $4,000, which is uh, equitable to about $79,000 in 2021. They added a sanctuary and a Sunday school building to the sides of the main house. It was added to the Alabama Register of Landmarks and Heritage in, on uh, July 31st, 1975, which was what saved it from demolition when attempts were made after the church began, began, became non-operational in 1995. Shortly after, Heritage Commission of Tuscaloosa County took over the ownership of the Drish House in hope of restoring it. It was listed as a place in peril in 2006. Ownership of the house was transferred to Tuscaloosa County Preservation Society in 2007. The group tried to raise money to fund their efforts to stabilize the structure of the house and renovate the inside until 2012, when Nika McCool of Past Horizons LLC purchased the mansion and finished the restoration project. In 2015, it was listed as Jemison School slash Drish House on the National Register of Historic Places. And I'm sorry if you can hear dogs barking in the background because they have excellent timing, just like Montana's dogs have excellent timing. Hey, look, you can't put a dog on a schedule unless it's a feeding schedule. Yeah. Oh, they're good at those. The house is currently um, operated as an event venue and hosts many events from weddings to musical performances. And it's also known as one of the most haunted sites in Tuscaloosa. So I went through this whole historical piece uh, because one, it's interesting how it's changed hands and how it's changed over time. I mean, starting out as this beautiful mansion that obviously he must have spent a lot of money to have it built. Uh, going through a very rough time and then taking over a decade to renovate into the place that it is now as an event venue. Um, and it is open, so you can visit it. Um, it's not open for like tours per se, except for on certain times during the year, they'll, they'll host tours sometimes. So for the haunting aspect of it, obviously I was going to get to it. <laughs> Dr. John R. Drish decided to have the house built shortly after marrying Sarah Owen McKinney in 1835. He was a widower by this time, and Sarah happened to be a widow herself, and a wealthy one at that. He himself was a wealthy man, investing in railroads, cotton mills, and more, as well as had a successful physician's practice and worked as a building contractor, working with many skilled slave artisans. 
they actually executed much of the early plaster work in Tuscaloosa. I think you can still find it on a lot of the buildings. So jack of all trades, I guess. He was also well known for his drinking and gambling, which may have something to do with why at his death at the age of 71, his estate was found to be insolvent, which means that debts remained that were unable to be paid. Due to this, all of his property and real estate were auctioned off to pay his debts. In fact, it was said that Sarah was left with nothing but the furnishings in the home and the right to live in the said home, as an Alabama lawyer by the name of Powell purchased it at the auction. Upon her death, the contents of the home were sold at public auction as well. According to the story, one night, around 30 years after it was built, when Dr. Drisk was extremely drunk, he fell over the stairway and died. Some stories say that he had a bout of delirium and threw himself down the stairs, and others claimed he jumped on purpose to complete suicide. In either case, his wife Sarah became obsessed with making his funeral quite the extravagant affair, and after the funeral, she kept her husband's candles and insisted that they were to be used at her funeral when she passed. Uh, some of the stories even said that he had said in his like last request that his body be kept in the third floor tower uh, with surrounded by candles as like a vigil for however many days it was uh, before he was buried. So that's where the candles aspect came from. What in the rich people nonsense is this? Right. I mean, I think to some extent it was done and some religions have something similar to that, but wow. I'm not keeping a dead I, body in my house. Like, no. No, that's just gross. What's not happening, <laughs> sir. Well, and and she was trying to keep to the letter of his requests, which is what some of them said. But basically, she just kind of went crazy as far as the funeral and making arrangements. And the big thing was she kept the candles that were used for whatever reason around surrounding his death and funeral, and wanted them used at her funeral. Listen, After I want Samantha. <laughs> I want you. I'm not keeping candles. <laughs> no, just no, bear with me for my next. So I have this really fancy like uh, birthday cake candle that I got for my 30th birthday that I never used uh, because I turned 30 during the pandemic. So I didn't have a yeah a extra unfortunate birthday, but it's a very it's a very me candle. Uh, it's gold. <laughs> It's really big. I want you to take that. And when I die, I want you to stick the candle in my mouth and light it. <laughs> All right. But you said you want to be cremated, so. No, that's right. As they push me into the oven. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Make sure to put it in a place, put the candle in a place where I can find it. Okay. I I'll keep it in my keepsake trunk. So all right, just, all right. I'm gonna write that in my will. You have to do it. All right, all right. I'll I'll tell him. Look, it's in this official legal document. I have to do it. Can you imagine? And I'll be like, all right. You know what? You know what? You know, checkmate. I guess we're gonna have to do it. Can you imagine, like, you and counsel like standing over my body as they're about to like push me into an oven, and you're like, wait, wait. I hate you so much, Wendy, and I just and you like stick it in my mouth and you you, you light it. <laughs> the corner's like, what well, the they, fuck? Have you covered? They have you covered with a sheet? And I'm like, I just need to see her face one more time. 
<laughs> and they pull the sheet over and I stick a candle on your mouth. <laughs> oh my god. This is morbid. <laughs> Should we light it before or after? Oh, it's definitely going to get lit once it's in there. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, I mean, I'm getting lit once I'm in there. <laughs> Uh, uh, this took a w- different dark turn. Anyway, after his death, paranormal <laughs> events started occurring pretty regularly. Servants claimed to hear disembodied cries and that they heard sounds of a person falling down the stairs. When she died, Sarah died in 1884. One story, there were, it wasn't clear what she died of it kind of hinted that it was natural causes but one story actually said she just couldn't live any longer and she leapt to her death in the same manner that her husband had so she like jumped over the stairs and and fell to her death um but in any case after she died her family looked everywhere trying to find the candles that she had made sure to tell them that were to be used for her funeral but they were nowhere to be found that was one version. Another version wondered if they were just stingy and didn't, even, or simply just didn't bother to look, um, or didn't care about her last wishes and just didn't do it. Um, there were also claims that the candles were found months after her funeral. But in any case, not long after her death and the funeral, fire brigade, brigades rushed to the house after receiving reports of a fire in the tower of the Drish house. Once they entered, however, they found a bare dark room. This is actually the most common story with regards to the hauntings, referring to it as death lights in the tower. This has actually been seen many times. There's a lot of firsthand accounts of it. Uh, Lights in the tower that seem like a fire, only to seemingly be extinguished as quickly as they appeared all on their own. There have been several cases of concerned citizens calling the fire department. There's 911 recordings that you are supposed to be able to pull, although I didn't try to do that. Because the tower looked as though it was on fire. But then again, each time the fire department gets there, there's no fire, despite the lights that just keep being seen from the tower. There was actually a firsthand account of a guy that had no idea about the story that had seen this um, when he was in town. I, he went, I think he, it said that he went to college in Tuscaloosa and he had just driven by and saw it and thought it was on fire. And the next day, the tower was fine. So he's like, well, maybe... I just didn't see what I thought I saw. And he mentioned it in town and they said, Oh yeah, that's, that's happened multiple times that people will see it, think it's on fire and then there's nothing there. So wait, he saw a place that looked like it was on fire and he just kept driving. Like he didn't call anybody. (laughs) Not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) What? Don't, don't look at me. I don't know. That was the story on his blog. So I mean, I'm judging this I guess guy. So he 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 was a concerned citizen, but not that concerned. <laughs> I'm concerned too. Well, if I saw it, I definitely would be calling somebody. But that was one thing that they had told him was, yeah, you'll you can find 911 calls of people who have that are aren't from that area that call in panic because they think it's on fire. And at this point, the fire department are just like, okay, we'll go check, and then there's nothing there. There's also a one. There was one story that I found that said that the fires were actually phantom fires lit by a slave who had been burned to death in the tower. The story there is that the slave had hidden in the tower, and so they locked him up there until he couldn't take it anymore um, because he was like starved and and dehydrated. So he finally came down, and the 
person who lived there, which I'm assuming they're, they mean Dr. Drish, put him up there and, and then burned him to death in the tower. That doesn't really make sense to me because the tower was intact. So that doesn't really compute. There was never any fire ever recorded in the tower. So I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think that's just something somebody made up and ran with. Unfortunately, this wasn't the only odd tragedy that was tied to the family. Apparently their daughter, Catherine, and I actually read that his first wife's name was Catherine and his daughter's name was Catherine, but spelled with a K instead of a C, had been forced to marry a man she didn't love. While she was in New Orleans, and that was actually where the wealthy man that Dr. Drish set her up with, so she had moved there with him, uh, Catherine was on the balcony, saw her new husband in the street below, and was said to have just gone crazy. So her husband brought her back, her and their two sons, back to Drish House, where she lived for the rest of her life. She played piano to pass the time, but only when no one was listening. As she neared her last days, a servant stayed on guard 24-7. The door to her room remained locked, and her windows were sealed with heavy screws. Another version of that story is said that she loved another man, but her father found out and forced her to marry someone who was wealthier and, I guess, better suited for their family. Okay, I'm just starting, huh? <laughs> Uh, another version of the story said that she loved another man, but her father forced her to marry someone wealthier. When that man divorced her, she returned to the house and Dr. Drish kept her locked in her bedroom with only, only the piano for company. Eventually, after her father died, her mother locked her away in her room as her mental health continued to decline, even shutting up the windows with heavy-duty screws and posting servants at her door. Eventually, her sons came back to take her away for the remainder of her days. People have claimed to hear the voice of a young woman believed to be Catherine running down the stairs. Another variation of the story is that it was Catherine who wanted to have the candles from her father's funeral at hers. And when it wasn't done, she began haunting the house and lighting the candles in the tower because it was not done for her as she had requested. Well, I mean, that's one thing to do. Listen, I'm going to haunt you if you don't put my birthday candle in my mouth when you cremate me. I assume you're going to haunt me anyway. Oh, that's true. Yeah. We, we already talked about this. I already had it written in my plan. Yeah, I, I kind of figured. So uh, basically somebody's lighting candles and, and making people think that the tower's on fire. We're not sure who, but I, I feel like it's more likely the mom than the daughter. I think the daughter's just pissed uh, that she was locked in her bedroom. So she's just freaking people out. The Drishes also had a niece that they loved very much, Helen, Helen Whiting. She unfortunately had terrible taste in men, it would seem, and married a man named Fitch, who was known as a jealous drunkard. One day, she approached him in their home in an effort to repair their relationship, after he had been on a days-long bender. According to TuscaloosaNews.com, a historian described what happened next. Helen asked, Now you wouldn't harm a hair on my head, would you? To which Fitch replied, no, my dear, and seized her hair, bent her head back, and drew a razor across her throat, killing her instantly. Well, that was dramatic. A little bit. <laughs> this, not typically the response I would expect, but... No. Sure. I don't know how much I believe that story. <laughs> uh. Some tells in the story that he was later convicted, judged to be insane, and locked in a mental institution for the remainder of his life. Uh, 
or that he was cured and released and no one knew what happened to him after that. We just talked about that. About another case. We did. And that does happen. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it would be more like if it had happened in Canada, which is what we were referring to. uh, And he just disappeared. I mean, live your life. I, I guess, but don't kill your wife just because you can't handle your alcohol and you're a jealous asshole. Mm -hmm. Um, from all accounts, it didn't sound like there was, this was a real person. This They really did have a niece. Um, and she really did die, but I didn't, outside of that, I didn't see anything saying this actually happened. Some of the niece's possess- possessions were later returned to Drich House, and the servants were reported to be superstitious of them. They even refused to touch any of the items, afraid that they would be haunted by Helen's ghost if they moved them. Don't touch my items when I die. Well, you just told me I have to go through your trunk to get your candle. Uh, I'm not telling you how you do it, just what you can do and what you can't do. I'll let counsel do it all then. Ooh, and I'll just... I'm looking forward to haunting him. <laughs> so, uh, Okay, so since the restoration, the stories of paranormal activity have not gone away, and apparently it is attacking this podcast as well today, so... There you go. There were still reports including piano keys being struck when no one was in the room, objects moving on their own, hearing what sounds like John Drish talking to his daughter, and fuzzy figures appearing in photographs. According to BoiseGhost.org, some have even reported seeing a full-spectrum apparition of a little girl with long, dark hair and a pink dress who runs around many rooms and turns on water faucets and playfully hides things. Various owners claim that the girl is harmless, and they often catch the phenomena in real life as she moves curtains, pulls a pillow onto the floor, etc. Staff say they will simply respond, as one would to a child, by saying, Ha, that's funny. Then the girl proceeds to ascend the stairs, and visitors have been astonished to see this real-life phenomena physically rush past them and continue into the upper level where her footsteps can be audibly heard playfully running directly above them. I don't find anything playful or funny about a disembodied like feet noise <laughs> like or children's laughing. Yeah, I don't find that any funny. any of those things. Mm-mm. I don't know. No. <laughs> Small little feet. Mm. Especially if I don't have any children like Well, yeah, especially if you don't have any children. <laughs> hearing loud audible unexplained footsteps is not for the faint-hearted i know because i have experienced this phenomenon personally myself in a scottish castle by this by the way this is still from the website anyone interested in hearing about my experience please drop a comment below and i'll be happy to share so they didn't put it on the the website for some reason but apparently they've experienced this before i guess nobody commented Um, no there wasn't any comments that's why they didn't share (laughs) Several of these websites that I went to to find like first saint accounts, there really weren't any comments. I, I think mostly because it's now an event space, so it is open to the public, um, but only you know during the day. So it's not like you can go there at night and and see if you experience any kind of spookiness going on. Um, but they they do have some of these things that they've mentioned. And while the current owners have in the past had haunting building tours, they do not claim the house to be haunted. They merely maintain that if any house deserves to have a supernatural visitor, 
it's this one. Oh, and my house. Yeah, and mine. Oh, yeah. Yours definitely. For sure. So that is the story of the Drish house. I would like to go there sometime. And if they ever do a haunted tour, I might make the drive and, and go to Tuscaloosa and walk through it and see if it seems spooky at all. But it is fully restored. So it's not. it doesn't look spooky anymore. Well, I mean, I will be visiting at some point soon. That's true. So we can do that. That's very true. I look forward to it. It would be interesting at the very least just to look at it. But um I, I don't think that we're going to experience any creepy things. So that's one reason why I'd be willing to visit. <laughs> Unlike some of the other places we've covered. Come on. I've had some creepy encounters. Normally with just like people. But. <laughs> True. True that. Uh, okay. Well, good job. Good. Good job. I would say I did an amazing job with all of the interesting things that happened throughout. But. Sorry about it. I'm only giving myself credit for that one. Yeah. Um, all the credit for that goes to me. <laughs> I broke everything today. That was that was fun. Well, hopefully we've got it all figured out so we can go through your story without a hitch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but before we do that, um, I need a wine break. So <laughs> <laughs> I ran out of my drink, so I have to go get wine now. So beer. Okay. Go get your wine. <clears throat> Well, I started that and then had to call. All right. Well, I'm really, really. This is, <laughs> we're following a trend here. <laughs> My God. Uh, so maybe we shouldn't do joint episodes because it seems like that's when it kind of goes haywire. But I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe we should. I don't know. We can we can talk about our schedule. Maybe changing up the night. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but I'm going to tell you about the Dunhill Hotel. Okay, cool. I can't wait to hear it. Before before you start doing that, though, like I was listening to a podcast, this is a side note, and I'm going to go on a tangent for once, but I've been listening to this podcast and they frequently pronounce things incorrectly or stumble over it, which makes me feel better because there's a lot of times where my tongue just doesn't work. And you don't really understand that until you do something like this. And it's like, oh, that word that's always been so easy for me to say, suddenly I have no idea how to pronounce it and I can't spit it out. So... I practiced a word and it's going to fall on my, I'm going to fall on my face because I'm not going to be able to say it now, but, uh, spelunkiological. Got it. Spelunkiological. I practiced, <laughs> I practiced that word so many times after the episode because and I finally got it down. That was like episode two, Samantha. I know. No, no. This was in the, the claustrophobia episode, the last joint one we did. Yeah. But that came up in episode two too right i know but i didn't practice it after that one Uh (laughs) i only did it after this last one yeah people i was like i know i can get this word if i just try really hard unless you're like trying to do something like that it's it's so funny to have like uh so for instance like our, our friend kelsey she watched us record an episode and she was like oh that's what you do like oh what and I was like, yeah, but you don't understand how hard it is, especially if you like have suffered from dyslexia. And then all of a sudden you're looking at what you're trying to read and everything like mashes up and then none of it makes sense. And you're like, uh, 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 or you try to say I a simple I'm word. smarter than I sound right now. Yeah. So it's just like trying to read. And, well, and then she recorded when she was like, oh my God, that was hard. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you don't know until you, you, you go to do it. <laughs> You're not just like, it's not just talking into a microphone. You have all this research no. and then you go to read stuff. And then you're like, I used to know how to say things like 
I don't know, um, what about me? And then it all, all of a sudden it comes out, Whataburger. And you're like, why did my, why did my mouth say that? <laughs> why did my mouth say that? So it does make me feel better when I listen to podcasts and they do the same thing. But I totally get it now, too, after doing this yeah. a few times. It's hard. It, it, you definitely stumble over words and some that should be fairly easy or at least be able to sound them out. You can't even do that. No. And what, no. what a lot of people don't hear is like me restarting a sentence over 15 times because I cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do your best to make us sound smarter. I feel like there's only so much you can do. Oh, yeah. I'm a lost cause. Situations. I'm a lost cause. It's fine. Anyway, so the Dunhill Hotel. Um, I'm just going to put my resources in the show notes. Uh, you guys are welcome to that because you didn't read off yours. Uh, so joint joint episodes, we won't read them off. They'll be in the show notes. So uh, knock yourself out if you want to go read them. So be- before it became known as the Dunhill Hotel, the 10-story high-rise at 237 North Tryon Street was known as the Mayflower Manor Hotel and Apartments. The Mayflower was designed by well-established architect Louis Asbury Sr. in a classical revival style and contained 100 rooms for both permanent residents and temporary guests. So it was like, it was like hotel slash like permanent living, which was like, I guess the Cecil Hotel kind of turned into that too, right? Yeah, well, it was a... Well, I guess sort of. It was like a hostel, but then they added the side for a quote-unquote hotel, but they didn't really separate them yeah. at all. That was the big deal. Yeah. So I think that was kind of a big thing back then. Anyways, when the hotel was completed in November of 1929, it rose above the city skyline as one of the tallest buildings in Charlotte, a towering testament to the strength and perseverance of the American dream. Okay. And in 1929, that dream was more important than ever. Just one month earlier, the nation had experienced the most devastating economic crash in its history. Well, up to that point. Up to that point. I've <laughs> <laughs> had a number since then. I'm uncomfortable because I graduated, I quote unquote, graduated and then we went into a recession. <laughs> I started, I started working at a bank. And then the financial crisis happened, like, <laughs> the next year. It's just, like, everybody's, like, why are millennials so, um, why are they so sad and, like, full of anxiety? And I'm, like, did you? We started off our adult life at the global financial crisis, like, right then. And we're going in a, into another one right now. But, okay. <laughs> sure. Nah, it's not a financial crisis. Yeah, we won't yeah, get onto that. We won't get onto that. But, whatever. Recession. Well, we, then we had COVID. Then, then we, we had COVID. What's going on now? 9 11, so, yeah. that whole thing. Just that's why we're sad, people. <laughs> we're all poor. <laughs> we are all poor. Uh, so, uh, effectively decimating American families, jobs, and spirits. Spirits. Not the alcohol. 
Oh. I thought you were going to tie it to the haunt. The fact this was a haunting episode. Oh, no. I should have known. I should have known. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it always goes back to the booze. Uh, when naming the newly minted hotel investors. Also, incidentally, why we like booze so much. <laughs> exactly. That's very true. Millennials do love booze. Investors decided on the name Mayflower to harken back to the nation's foundations and appeal to the resiliency of the American people. Allah. It, it worked out so well for those that were on the Mayflower. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, keep going. Uh, okay, colonizer. Um, <laughs> construction of the hotel as well as day-to-day operations also provided much-needed jobs for the citizens of Charlotte now. Charlotte, now reeling from the effects of the Depression, the investors' efforts to embody this sense of resilience quickly paid off, and in its first year of business, the Charlotte Observer listed it among the city's largest and finest buildings, as well as an impressive addition to the Charlotte skyline. Which, I mean, you've seen the Charlotte skyline. It's quite glorious. Especially that one building that looks like a very long purse, because it has a handle (laughs) at the top. I forget what it's called. But it does. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, it has a handle. So it's like either like a um, a wine gift bag or it's like a really long purse. I'm like, oh, I could just, you know, whatever. I'm not surprised the wine gift bag was the one that popped into your head first. Hey, cheers. Wine. <laughs> cheers. So despite the ruin America experienced during the Great Depression, business at the Mayflower boomed. Throughout the 1930s, hundreds of guests passed through its doors and dozens more made their homes in the Mayflower's upper residential floors. This trend continued throughout the next several decades, but by the 1960s, the once grand Mayflower Manor was beginning to crumble. As the building itself fell deeper into despair, throughout the 1970s, the previously steady stream of guests slowed to a sad trickle. By 1981, the doors of the Mayflower permanently closed to the public. For a number of years, the building remained vacant. The grand front doors that had once welcomed hundreds of guests were locked and boarded up, and the once brightly lit windows fell dark. In 1988, real estate development partners Brad Holcomb and Doe Patterson purchased the darkened, dilapidated old building and renovations Renovation efforts began. Six million dollars later, the Mayflower Manor reopened its doors as the Dunhill Hotel. So that's when it got rebranded. However, their investment quickly fell short as the new and improved hotel failed to garner enough business to sustain itself and filed for bankruptcy less than two years later. In nineteen ninety, yeah, don't worry about it. In nineteen six million dollars, and then like, nope, sorry, chump change, Samantha, chump change, um, to some, <laughs> to some. In nineteen ninety, the hotel's bad luck continued when the Southeastern Federal Savings Bank took possession of the property. In nineteen ninety one, the bank sold the property to a second pair of real estate developers, Gene Singleton and Doyle Parrish. Things quickly began to look up for the Dunhill, and that same year, the Historic Hotels of America accepted it into its program, ensuring its preservation as a National Historic Landmark. 
Singleton and Parrish have enjoyed considerably better luck with the property than their predecessors. As the hotel continues to operate smoothly today, even winning an award for the best historic hotel from the Historic Hotels of America in 2017. All right, fancy. Mm-hmm. Despite Had the a rough start, rough, <laughs> rough restart, I guess. Yeah, and like I looked at, pit, well, I, I got to see some pictures because some of the information that I got for this were from like blogs and stuff like that of people visiting. And while they have like newer amenities in the rooms, all of like the rooms are kind of like original to what it was originally. So it it looks more grand than a hotel that it, it reminds me a lot of like the Redmont, mm-hmm. but only more classically uh, preserved. Okay. Than the Redmont, and the Redmont is a, a historical hotel in Birmingham. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll cover that, but I didn't want to cover that today because I'm going to cover that in the two other hotels that are well-known. But um, actually, we might if we ever get a chance. Um, We might do it from the Redmond. (laughs) It would be interesting. Uh, I think one of the hotels that has been renovated of those three was renovated somewhat like that. Um, The Redmond was renovated again more recently, and that's when the updated like amenities and stuff were added so that that changed the style i think a lot okay but to be clear the redmont was renovated more recently but their elevator is from fucking 1880s (laughs) yeah certain pieces of it have not been (laughs) renovated uh well it's been renovated it's not been replaced oh god that elevator scared the crap out of me terrifying it's uh maybe we can record some sound bites from it and you can hear how terrifying it is to be in it yeah all you're gonna hear in the background is me going oh my god 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 anyway stay in historic hotels you won't be bored take me to a historic hotel i will pour half my drink into a plant and then black out at oh, like yeah, nine o'clock happen. <laughs> that did happen tuck you into bed well she kept giving us free drinks man i was like, oh. <laughs> like i cannot drink this that poor plant i hope it was fake uh it was dead one way or another <laughs> we can go into more detail whenever <laughs> anyways back to the downhill Despite the influx of business, the hotel experienced during the Great Depression, not every single guest who checked in enjoyed the same prosperity. As one of the tallest buildings in the city, this is a bit dark, the Mayflower became a popular jumping off point for desperate, suicidal businessmen. Oh, okay. Dozens of men reportedly took their own lives by leaping from the upper floors of the Dunhill in the 1930s. Sheesh. If the most re- if the hotel's more recent guests are to be believed, many of their spirits never left, forever chained to the Dunhill by the anguish of their final moments there. I don't know that I'd want to stay there now. <laughs> no. <laughs> at the top. All right. One visitor who checked in who checked into the Dunhill sometime in the late 1980s tells a story that seems to confirm this. According to a report, the woman was in Charlotte on business and had booked a room on the 10th floor, which I think the 10th floor is actually the ninth floor, but because okay. I, I found differing 
accounts of like this one story anyway um of the hotel she returned to her room after a long day of meetings wanting nothing more than to crawl into bed and get some rest little did she know that night was to be a long and restless one just as she finished peeling back the cover she heard what sounded like heavy footsteps above her she found this odd as her room was on the top floor of the hotel so there was no room above her. Curious, she wandered to the window and peered out. It was dark outside, a starless night, and the woman couldn't make out anything, at least not at first. Suddenly, a large, heavy object plummeted from the roof past her window. The woman drew back from the ledge. She couldn't be sure, but whatever had just fallen outside of her window looked eerily human. Uh, Terrified. Nope. <laughs> It gives a new meaning to it's raining, man. That's <laughs> terrible. I mean, it's it's a well-placed <laughs> joke, but it's also terrible. I didn't want to say it. I'm probably going to cut that. <laughs> Jeez. Fuck, why did I say that? Uh, terrified, she forced herself to peer over the ledge. On the pavement, ten stories below, lay the crumpled, bleeding body of a man in a suit. His hat beside him. The woman screamed and reached for the phone to dial 911, but all she heard on the other end was static. In a panic... This is like a 1408 situation. I don't yes. know if you've ever seen that movie, but uh-uh. Yeah. There's a room that's going to remind you. Anyway, uh, we'll get to it. In a panic, the woman threw on her robe and rushed downstairs to the lobby. She ran outside to the sidewalk below her window, but couldn't find, could find no one there. The man was gone, leaving not even a drop of blood behind. The woman stated, I must be losing it. That's what I would have said. And headed back upstairs. <laughs> But that same night, the woman saw the same apparition diving by her window dozens of times, falling and appearing on the sidewalk below again and again before vanishing. She tossed like 1408. Yeah. Mm -mm, no. She tossed and turned all night before finally falling into a restless sleep. The next day, she made a trip to the local library to look up records of deaths in the area. Her research turned up a young man by the name of Alfred P. Forrester who committed, who died by suicide at the Dunhill Hotel exactly 50 years ago that night. So I guess on like the anniversary, he was just doing it over and over again. Interesting. No, uh, no. Uh, this, is, this is where we get to that other room. Guests claim that uh, room 906 is the most haunted. One guest, unlucky enough to book room 906, reports lying in bed late one night when the lights suddenly began to flicker on and off all on their own. As she laid there in disbelief, all the appliances in the room followed suit, frantically turning themselves on and off before what sounded like a spectral hand tapped three times on the nightstand. The woman screamed, then everything stopped. When she checked the clock on her bedside table, it read exactly 3 a.m. Haunting hour. Mm-hmm. 
Also, a housekeeper told stories of room 906. The housekeeper who was assigned to it always felt like there was someone there watching her. Despite no one being in the room, she shared her experiences of hearing noises, water turning on and off on its own, and feeling like she was being watched. Nothing bad ever happened to the housekeeper, but she said she could definitely feel the ghostly presence. So we're about to get to my favorite part of this story. Oh, goody. There is a ghost in this story, an apparition, if you will. Um, maybe almost a po- poltergeist. Um, and his name is Dusty. Dusty the ghost. Okay. The story goes that while performing renovations on the hotel in 1980, in the 1980s, the subs- and subsequently moving the elevator shaft, a human skeleton was recovered. The skeleton belonged to an unidentified man whose cause of death was, was and is unknown. Perhaps seeking justice or to ensure he was not forgotten, despite never being identified, the ghost at the Dunhill uh, has resided there ever since. Dusty the ghost is regarded as mischievous, but not harmful or scary. Most interactions with Dusty consist of lights turning on and off, loud knocking noises, or items moving from one place to another. So when I was reading about Dusty, apparently uh, when they found, they say they found skeletal remains, they found only a head or a skull. And so uh, some accounts say that he, he was so jealous of other people who had heads that some guests (laughs) would feel like, a like a tingle or a shock or warmth up their neck and into their head like he was fucking with (laughs) the whole time from the beginning of you mentioning this this ghost i was thinking this sounds like montana and it it hasn't sounded less like you yet no no (laughs) he's just like i'm I'm so jealous that they have full bodies. Like, I just want their head. Like, me. Let me get your head. (laughs) Join the headless crew, my friend. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, that's the Dunhill Hotel. (laughs) Aye. Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. I wonder if some of 1408 may have come from that. It might have. Sounds a lot. Some of that sounds very similar. What really just messes me up is, is the thought of, like, of like there's no way this- I would have stayed in that freaking room. No, there's there's no way. I would have no checked way. out. I well, wouldn't try to get any sleep. Some people actually re- specifically request that. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they specifically request that room because they want to see a haunting. And from what I could read, uh, you're more likely to have a ghostly or haunting like experience if you get any room that's on the ninth floor or the tenth floor, whatever you want to call it, the top floor. Or the second floor. And I don't know why the second floor. I couldn't figure out why that was the case. But it, w- it was those two floors. So if you want a, a good Dunhill Hotel haunting. Uh, make sure <laughs> that's, that, where you, that's where you go for. Yeah, Those two different floors. If you can get a 906. Um, nah. Nah. No thanks. And then tell us about your experience. 
But I just, uh, the, the thought of like, that was where they called it a jumping off point. Like uh-uh. those people That's... went to die. Well, and I wonder maybe if the room that they were staying in is like haunted specifically. Like I want that lady that kept seeing the one over and over and over. I wonder if he was staying in that room when he did it. I don't know, but I can tell you. If I just saw one person fly by the window, I'd be down at the front desk in a heartbeat. If, like if I tried to call and I heard nothing but static, that would be a all caps nope for me. And I would be walking out that door with my bags and tell them, have a nice night. Bye. I'm going to a super eight. Mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if everybody else is booked. I'm going to figure it out. I'll sleep in my car. Yeah. I'm no not, kidding. I'm not going, mm-mm, not doing that. That no, is it's not freaky. Ah, uh, so good job, dude. Uh, all right. Well, that's another place that I'll be um, checking on my do not stay list. Do oh, not visit. If we stay on a floor well, that's I'll not visit. Yeah. I was going to say, I'll, we, we can visit if we don't stay on one of those floors. But the second something weird happens, I'm out. Yeah. As long as yeah, there's probably. a bail policy. Like, no, not for me. They do uh, ghost tours, t- uh, ghost tours there at the hotel as well. Um, oh, that might be cool. Yeah, the um, one of the places where I got information from uh, was, hang on, let me go back to the top because I actually want to give their name. It was twosistersabroad.com. And it's literally just two sisters where they go to different like haunted hotels and then they blog about it. And so, like, they got pictures, they they tell you about, like, their experience there, they rate the hotel, and, like, all the amenities and things like that. I found it really interesting, thought it was super cool. But they had, like, pictures, like, current pictures of it, and it's gorgeous. The whole place is just beautiful. Hauntingly beautiful. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll stay in one of the other floors just to see, but... Uh, I don't know. You, you always wonder about those historic buildings anyway, just in general. Like, what happened? These these buildings have been here entirely too long. You know some bad stuff's happened somewhere oh, yeah, in for the sure. building. For sure. What What about the place where me, you, and um, stayed? I'll bleep her name. Uh, when we were in... Uh, where, did we, where did we go? Charleston. Charleston, yeah. Wasn't that, that place on Mm, I don't remember. It sounds right, though. But they they have ghost tours, too. I still want to go back and go on one of those ghost tours that they have. Yeah, same. I feel like it'd be fun. Maybe not when it's so hot. <laughs> Definitely not when it's so hot. That was just miserable. Uh, lesson learned. Don't don't go there in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> not, okay. not for me, anyway. We can go in, like, the spring or early fall or something. Anyway, great job, yeah. you. Great job, great me. Great job, you. Um, how do we end this? Uh, Where can you our can listeners find us on all the social medias, Facebook and Instagram at Reaper Tales Podcast? Montana, you can, can email us. You can email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. Uh, don't email us about this episode. It has been just <laughs> haunting. <laughs> and- don't add insult to injury. We're already hurting here. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. I see we've recently gotten uh, a few new listeners. So, hey, welcome. Um, thanks for sticking it out, I think. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> until next time.
Oh.